welcome to a super special edition of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. It's episode 100, and this is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Hello, everyone. And since this is such a major milestone, it's a time to look back. So we've had over 100 episodes of the App Advice Weekly Podcast, and during that time, we have crushed candy, explored monument valleys, crossed roads, clashed clans, launched angry birds, searched rooms, called Ollie Ollie Oxen Free, formed threes, snowboarded with Alto, raced on asphalt, led reins, gone on go adventures, overseen metro rails, and so much more. And also during that same time, we've seen the launch of the Apple Watch, AirPods, HomePods, as well as multiple quarters of Apple earnings, and of course, numerous iPhones, iPads, and Macs. Wow, I'm as exhausted just listening to that list of stuff. It's really amazing. You know, we get caught up in the weekly idea of our podcast, but to take a step back of the big picture and... There's even so much more that we could have done and talked about. Yeah, I mean, just the sheer number of apps we talked about over and just all the changes that have gone on with Apple in this time is it just incredible. And so our usual format of having Apple news, new apps and new games, that will return for episode 101. But with this being our special episode 100, we wanted to change it up and do something different. And so we're going to talk about Avengers Endgame and Game of Thrones because we have the biggest movie of all time. And one of the biggest TV shows of all time, having monumental events just coinciding this weekend. Yeah, it was a great weekend for entertainment, just in the theater and on television. And also in honor of this episode, we wanted to do a giveaway. So if you're a listener and hopefully an avid listener or a brand new listener, we're going to be giving away a $25 iTunes gift card. Details will be later in the show, so stay tuned. And then since we're talking to Avengers Endgame and Game of Thrones Battle of Winterfell, if you haven't seen either of those, warning, there's spoilers throughout this entire episode. If you do end up seeing those things, you can come back to this episode and listen then. But this is your last warning. We're going to spoil the entirety of both Avengers Endgame and Game of Thrones Battle of Winterfell throughout the rest of the program. Yes, so you've been warned, but I'm hoping you saw these fantastic pieces of entertainment over the weekend as well, and you're ready to dive in with us as we discuss them. And so this is a nice change of pace for us. We don't usually talk pop culture, but since we are both avidly watching these entities, it perfectly works. And so we'll start with Avengers Endgame. Like I said, it's the biggest movie event in the history of cinema. There's never been a movie that's the result of 21 preceding movies over the course of 11 years. It's absolutely astonishing what Marvel has been able to do. And now we finally see the conclusion of the Infinity Saga. And quite honestly, I don't want to like jump the gun too much. It's kind of tough to where we're going to start. Do we go in chronological order or what have you? But instead, we'll just kind of fire off overall opinion. So for me, it's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And that's not recency <laughs> bias or hyperbole or anything like that. I'm not being facetious. I've never experienced a movie quite like that. I will say it, is, it was one of the most entertaining three hours of my life. Like, I couldn't believe three hours had gone by, by when it ended. It just, you were engrossed from minute one to minute 181. Like, it just... Never felt like it was dragging. I was totally in it. And I had 3D glasses on, which sometimes that tends to like bother your eyes after a while, but no problems whatsoever. I was in for the entirety. Speaking of those 3D glasses, they are perfect 
to kind of mask your face when you got a little teary-eyed based <laughs> on the things that happened. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And so there were onions in the theater. <laughs> yes. And really, I mean, I'm going to start right at the end. The reason this movie did so much for me is because I have that knowledge of those 21 other movies. If you just showed up and watched Endgame, it's an entertaining film, but I don't think it has the meaning to you to see what happens to these characters in the whole full circle. And also they find a way to shout out all 21 other films in this movie. They do callbacks and various fan service to bring them all together in this eventual Endgame. Yeah, it, it's hard to believe it's been that long, 11 years since Iron Man came out. I mean, it's it's and if you have watched them all like I've watched them all, you definitely get the most out of this film. You can. So my girls, they only watched one of them watched most of the films. I think there were only like three of them she didn't see. The other one had only watched about five of the films before we went. And she had lots of questions afterwards. But we're going to go back and, and fix that and watch a lot of those other movies with her. But I think they did everything for the fans in this. They had callbacks, like you said. They had. They even were going back and reliving scenes in the old movies, and there were homages to scenes in other movies, and they played out not like how you expected. And it was just so much fun in there, but then they also had all this emotional stuff in there as well. And it just was so perfectly crafted from uh, that you just uh, I don't know how they could have made a better movie. Right. That That's the same for me, because going into it, you know, knowing what to expect, just on a pure kind of being a fan of the whole thing. I knew they were going to defeat Thanos. So that that's it. We know we have Infinity War. Thanos wins, so now Endgame, they're going to correct it somehow. The heroes are going to win. So we know that. And then you see the trailer. They have the Quantum Realm suits. You know that Ant-Man's stuck in the Quantum Realm. You know there's going to be time travel involved somehow. And then you know that Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, this is their last effort with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so we know they were going to be written out of the story at some point. Even knowing all that, the film was absolutely amazing. I was fully engrossed in its entirety, and I just absolutely loved every minute of it. Yeah, so I did not watch a single trailer going into this. I avoided every single trailer. I did have the knowledge that I know they're working on a Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and that they already have another Spider-Man in the can, ready to go. And then I knew all the rumors surrounding both Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. So I knew that they were probably something was going on with them and they were probably going to be out by the end of the movie. But other than that, I knew nothing about what was going to happen. I I mean, I had my suspicions. They're obviously going to defeat Thanos. But other than that, I went in without knowing anything other than right. what we knew at the end of Infinity War. Yeah, I'm going in the same way. I kept through without any spoilers. And just even knowing what we know, it's still a surprise of how they unfolded it, of how it all came together. And, you know, I watched it on Friday and then I watched it again on Sunday. And so, you know, the full film by Sunday and it still gets you with those goosebump rising scenes and the pulling at your heartstring scenes, maybe even more the second time, because you kind of look for other things earlier in the movie to kind of nail it even further. You know, it added extra meaning. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so we'll just start with the, the very beginning of the movie. You see Tony and you he's like on death's door. He's now made this this friendship and they're barely going to survive. And. 
you don't you think okay are they just gonna kill him off right at the beginning and then we're gonna see like (laughs) flashbacks or something like i don't really know and then all of a sudden captain marvel comes to save the day and then sony uh, tony lives to, to to fight another fight and move on so uh now you're like okay maybe no one's gonna die we're all gonna be good now and then it just kind of kicks off the whole how they deal with all this loss and then you're kind of dealing with all this loss because you're like well they didn't save anyone yet they didn't bring anyone back they're all really gone still so what are they going to do and so it i loved how the mood just kind of takes you through these emotions and you feel them with the characters and you feel that sense of dread and loss and then you feel the sense of hope when they start to come up with a plan of how maybe they can get people back and so it they really bring you along for the journey throughout the film and make you part of the Avengers, part of that team, and you're rooting for them and hoping against hope that somehow they find a way. Right. Just that whole sequence of Tony and Cap talking and saying, you weren't there for, you know, when we're fighting on Titan, the the whole Infinity War, everything that happens is because we were broken apart and you have that whole kind of relationship and stuff. And so then the remaining Avengers that we have decide to go, they track down Thanos and Thor has the classic line, what did you do, Thor? Because he chops Thanos' head off. Well, I went for the head this time. And just from that point, you're like, well, now what? Because then it has the cool transition five years later. So everybody who's gone, well, it's five years in the future. They didn't get him back. All they successfully did was pull off the revenge of actually killing Thanos after the fact. Right, and then that's when one of the most amazing best surprises happen when we see what's happened to Thor in all those years. And they come in and they, like, he's now formed new Asgard in, like, this kind of remote little fishing village. And they go in and, like, oh, they they talk to, uh, I forget what her name is, uh, Valkyrie. And they, uh it's who is it it's uh rocket and uh hulk Hulk, go and they go to visit thor to try to get him on board and talk to him and like oh no he has he only comes out once a week and you go in and all of a sudden they pan down thor and he's got this giant beer belly he's lost all his physique he's pretty much let it go he's sitting there playing Fortnite and just (laughs) chowing down on food and and with Mick and uh yeah, Cork and Meek. Yeah. Cork, yeah, yeah. And uh and then he's just become like this drunk and he's like lost all hope because he killed Thanos, but it meant nothing after all. Like it didn't bring everyone back. He just kinda got his revenge. And now this is how he's dealing with the loss, where he just become an alcoholic and doesn't really care about anything. Right. And so you you set that whole I mean, the fat Thor reveal that gets a great laugh out of the audience. But it's really a dark timeline for Thor because, you know, Infinity War, his vengeance requires him to go, you know, take the power of a son to create this special Stormbreaker to come and defeat Thanos. And now he's done that. It didn't do anything. So now he's gone to the opposite kind of darkest timeline of just giving up entirely. Right. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, that gets a whole bunch of laughs out of the audience. And then there was a surprising amount of humor in that first hour of the film. You know, Rocket has a lot of good one-liners and just the whole Hulk having lunch. And 
you know, doing dabbing and just being able, really, Hulk has an interesting storyline that over those five years, Bruce and Hulk have been able to be combined into one entity, and now he's like a social media icon. Right, yeah, yeah. There's the scene, yeah, in the restaurant where the kids all come up to get his autograph, and he's all super nice. So he, he's all hulked out, but he's wearing sweaters. He's wearing, he's like all dressed up, and he's he's giving his autograph away. And then uh, Ant Man's like, "Hey, don't you want my don't you want my autograph?" And like kids don't even know who he is because he was <laughs> trapped in the quantum realm. He for him, it's only been like five hours, not five years. He popped out, and he doesn't know what's even going on. Like all of a sudden, he knows that all these people disappeared, and everyone. And he found out his daughter aged and she's still alive uh, and she's happy to see him. But uh, his girlfriend's still gone. So now he wants to try to figure out a way how to uh, get her back and get the rest of the people back as well using the quantum realm and possibly this idea he comes up with of a time machine. Right. And so, again, I was hesitant of time travel. And I think what makes it work is that they set an established baseline of time travel and then they continue and fix with it. And that whole five year later designation, it makes it kind of final. You know, it's not like, oh, we're erasing what happened or we're making up for past mistakes. It's this is an established current time. And now we have to deal with it going down the road. Right. They basically take and trash anything you've ever seen in any other time travel movie where you can go back and affect the past and that changes the future. No, in their idea of this being able to travel back in time, anything you do in the past is not going to change the future. The future's already been set. It's already written. So if you go to the past and like kill baby Thanos, which they actually <laughs> go ahead and describe, uh that's not going to change anything. Thanos will still do everything he does because this has already been cast. It's already been written. Uh, so you're not going to change anything by doing that. Right. And so then you can only take inanimate objects with you through time and contingent upon that you put them back. So Bruce has this whole idea that we'll take time stones out of the past at certain points, and then we'll use time to go and put those time stones back so we don't actually end up manipulating the overarching timeline. And that sets up all the callbacks to kind of the original movie. So we get to go back to the first Avengers movie in 2012, Battle of New York, and we get to see Tilda Swinton uh, being the Ancient One guarding the, you know, time stone. And then Tony and Camp and Ant-Man go back to the actual battle where Loki was brought in all the Shaturis and you have to fight them all. And so they have to kind of try to get the Tesseract while also getting the Scepter with the Mind Stone. So they have to deal with that. And then we have the team of Nebula and War Machine going to Guardians 1, essentially, to get the Power Stone before Chris Pratt does, before Star-Lord does. And then we have... Natasha and Clint going to Vormir to get the Soul Stone before, you know, Thanos throws Gamora into the thing. So they have to do that great scene of fighting, essentially, to be the one to sacrifice themselves for the Soul Stone. Right. So as soon as those two, you know that they're going to get the Soul Stone, you know one of them's gone. Because we know from Infinity War, the only way to get that Soul Stone is for someone to die. And so... You already know one of these two characters is going down unless they have some other means of doing it. But you know this is the way this works. So already you're like, oh, crap, we're about to lose one of them. And I, secretly, I'm hoping, please let it be Hawkeye. But <laughs> you know 
that it's not going to be Hawkeye because they've already shown. So yeah, we in skipped the five over years, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did skip over that. So what happened was during the when the whole incident happened of all the people going to dust, he's out playing with his family and they're having like a picnic outside. And all of a sudden his entire family disappears. Well, yeah, then hot luck. <laughs> yeah, so he had really bad luck. So then he's all upset and he goes basically for the next five years on a killing spree to kill any bad person that he finds that survived this thing, because why should they have survived and not his family? His family was good. These people are evil and they do evil things. Why should they have survived? So he goes around just killing tons and tons and tons of bad people. So. Now he's here, he's joined back up with the team, and he's trying to go back and help them get these Infinity Stones. But you know, because they made this whole thing, he wants to go back to get his family back. He's not going to die. Natasha has no family. He has Her this family. family. Is all the Avengers. Come on. Yes, but, but no, still, I, I knew. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh no, I don't want to lose Black Widow. I could lose Hawkeye. Who cares about Hawkeye? But nope. And we have the announced Disney Plus series about Hawkeye, but that wasn't There's necessarily also the a Black Widow movie, which oh, is true. Really interesting what happens now. Yeah, Maybe well, it it's going to be a MacGuffin or something. Either that or it's going to be a uh, backstory. this like backstory that she'll finally get her movie after her character is dead. But right. uh, yeah, so. I unfortunately it was well maybe people like Hawkeye I I prefer to have Black Widow still there but it, we got Hawkeye so Hawkeye survives this he gets the stone and now we've lost our first we've had our first death of the movie uh of a main yeah. character at least and then so then Thor and Rocket go and they're heading to Asgard to pick up the ether at the time when Natalie Portman's character Jane has it actually in her system. And so they have it all planned out. And again, this is fat Thor down on his entire <laughs> psyche, Thor. And so Thor messes up the whole plan. Rocket kind of has to do it on his own. But Thor gets this great conversation with his mother, who ends up dying in Thor 2, The Dark World, which is people's most one of the most despised it's movies the in this thing so they they still call back to that but thor has a great conversation with his mom there's a few funny things and just really the whole kind of fat thor story arc i think chris hemsworth is the only one who could pull it off if you had a fat captain america i don't think chris evans could pull it off i think chris <laughs> hemsworth is the only actor who could pull it off and he does it really well Oh, no, he does a phenomenal job. He's got that great where he keeps on going into the laughter. And there's the, the great joke where they call him uh, Big Lebowski at one point because uh, he looks pretty much just like the Big Lebowski. And so I actually pulled up a picture of the Big Lebowski on my phone to show my daughters after the fact. Yeah. And I was showing my older daughter and she said, oh, OK. My younger daughter looks over at the phone. She didn't hear me. She said, oh, is that the actor that plays Thor? I'm like, no, see, this is why it was funny. You missed it. But uh, yeah. yeah, so one other very important thing that happens there, though, is Thor, who lost his hammer when it got destroyed by Thanos, takes the oh, hammer no, it's back. destroyed by Hela. Oh, by Hela. Hela. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he gets the hammer from that time and brings back the hammer with him when he goes back to the current time. So he now has the hammer on him as well. Yeah, to go with Stormbreaker. And, you know, Mjolnir is awesome. So it's good to kind of have him reunited with it after it's destroyed. Because Ragnarok is kind of the lesson that Thor realizes he doesn't need the hammer to be the god of thunder. 
And so, but having them both definitely helps when you're eventually going to fight Thanos. And it's the whole idea that he's still worthy. Even that, that's kind of the thing that Mjolnir always has for him. Right, right. And that's when he gets like after the conversation with his mother, he knows he's back on a, a, a good mental state and then getting the hammer. He knows he's worthy for this battle. He didn't mess everything up by killing Thanos. He like or not killing him the first time properly. Uh, and now he's ready for action. They're going to be successful. This is going to happen. And then we get back to New York in 2012 with the first Avengers movie. And there's some fun little pieces. So Bruce goes and talks to the Ancient One, and that just further establishes what they're doing with time and manipulating and still try to ground it in reality as best you can in something that's completely fabricated. And then the actual really good part is Cap seeing himself. So that is an absolutely amazing scene where Cap gets to fight Cap from the past. And just when he comes out of the door and he says, you got to be shitting me, when we know full, you know, Cap (laughs) does Ultron 2 language and stuff, and he just drops that out and it fits perfectly with the character because that whole scene comes down to them almost mimicking their fighting skills, but then having that whole Bucky reveal and being able to finally get one over on him. And they make sure to remind you that at that time frame, Loki does do a little thing where he looks like the captain at Captain America at one point. So mm-hmm. he thinks Captain from that time is thinks he's fighting Loki at that point. But even before that scene, you get another callback scene, which is, I thought was even more amazing, where he gets in the elevator and you think this is going to be a rehash of with all of these Hydra agents. Yeah, and you Winter think Soldier. this is going to be yep. a total rehash of Winter Soldier. And he's going to have this big, massive battle in the elevator. And then he like whispers to the head guy, Hail Hydra. And then they all like, then they let him out and there's no no actual fight. But you're like on the edge of oh, your you're seat braced waiting. For it. Yeah. Yes, you you think this is going to be another massive battle and they throw you for a loop. And, it, and that was just such a fun callback for people that have seen the other movies. Like you you get this tension cuz you think it's going to happen and then they then they twist it on you. Yeah, and then you have the whole So in the first Avengers movie, the scene goes the scene transitions out when they're all posed around Loki, all six of them in their cool little poses. And this one Tony specifically says, okay, that's enough posing. We can save that for later. So <laughs> you literally make fun of the first movie by then extending the shot in of what actually happens during that sequence. And then we get the whole Hulk having to take the stairs. And by doing that, Tony is then down at the bottom of the stairs. They have the whole Tesseract. They, their plan works to get it away where they flick Ant-Man into Tony's chest and it causes uh, heart palpitation or whatever. And Tony gets to call Medic for his own past self, which is awesome. But then (laughs) Hulk comes down the stairs and slams Tony out of the way, and the stone, the Tesseract, goes right to the feet of Loki. And as we know in Infinity War, Loki's killed, but now he has the Space Stone, and he teleports out of there. So that opens up a whole timeline that the movie just leaves open-ended. But that could be the new Loki series. There's a Loki series coming on Disney Plus. So Yeah, but it's just great to put it in there without talking about it. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's so like it's great that they have like all of these little things that all of these pieces could be other series and they're things you want to go watch. Like it gets you more and more excited for this Disney Plus. Like 
how much awesome stuff are they going to have on this on this streaming service? Like they put all these little possibilities within this one movie of various ways they can go with the series. Yeah. And then so Tony messes that up, essentially. And they only have so we didn't talk about it for their whole time travel. They do it by going through the quantum realm and Tony created kind of time GPSs so they can always find themselves back in time but they only have enough pin particles for one return trip each. And so you've taken your trip to New York, but Tony realizes you can go back to the 70s and his dad and the Tesseract and Hank Pym are all there at the same time. So you can steal the Tesseract back and then you can also steal the pin particles and get back. But that scene is really about closure between Tony and his dad and Cap seeing Agent Carter, Peggy, through the kind of glass when he stumbles into her office. Yeah, so this is the scene that's the foreshadowing of you know what's coming now at, by the end of the movie, just from the emotional scenes that each of these guys has. Uh, first, with with Cap going and see, seeing Peggy Carter's office, I do like the nod where they actually have the actors from the Agent Carter TV series playing the same characters that they played in that series as well. Uh, and then you had Jarvis and then you had uh, the same actor playing his dad. Um, and it was, so you see captain, he's like, sees that she has the picture of him in her office and that she obviously still loves him. And he misses her. He carries around this little locket with her picture in it. He dropped that during the, the battle with captain America and he picked it back up to make sure he took it with him, uh, with himself, I should say. And, uh, and so, you know, there's still that he's still pining for her and he misses her and wishes he could have had this life with her. So you kind of have this inkling of, you know, what's going to happen. At least I did. I don't know about you. Right. And I mean, so I, I kind of want to focus on hour two of the movie, but I want to get to hour three in the worst way. But also to round out hour two, we introduce a cool little piece, and that's Nebula and War Machine. They're able to get the the Power Stone, but Nebula turns out links to her former self, her past 2014 self, and this lets Thanos know that people are manipulated. So 2014 Thanos is still alive. They, they killed, you know, 2019 Thanos. And this creates the whole kind of climax of the film because Thanos or Nebula goes through the portal impersonating her future self, and then she's able to create the time hole for Thanos to come through. So 2014 Thanos is ready to create the ultimate battle because Thanos's point from the start of the movie to the end of the movie is I am inevitable. And so he's coming through the time portal and that sets up the whole climax of the movie because their whole time travel plan or the time heist plan of the Avengers works. It works. You have to sacrifice Black Widow and they don't realize that Nebula is a spy but they got all the stones that they wanted to, and Hulk has the whole special iron gauntlet that Tony is able to create, and he snaps, and we think it's all good, everybody's going to come back, and then they get absolutely devastated with a whole bombing run from Thanos' ship that came through time, and that whole Avengers complex is just leveled to dirt, essentially. Right, and and so they make a big point of saying that uh, Hulk is the one who has to use the glove to do the snap because it's mostly gamma radiation. He already has that. So he's the only one powerful enough that can survive this thing and do it. So and 
on that ship with Thanos is also Gamora. We have Gamora from back in 2014. 2014 Gamora. Yep. Yeah. And so she's on the on the ship as well. So now we found a way to get Gamora back, even though it's not the same Gamora. It's a Gamora. So we didn't lose her like we thought we did, because when they do the snap, they're only reviving people that died because of the snap. If you died because of any other reason, you were dead. Uh, you did not come back. You uh, you actually died. It's not part of this undoing of the snap. So she's already dead. Vision's still dead. Um, anyone who died. Yeah, uh, Heimdall, Loki, all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're all dead, dead. But anyone else, they're back alive. Everyone's back. And so, I mean, I'm just going to jump the gun. So <laughs> we get into this whole battle sequence now. It's between Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. They get to fight Thanos, and this is super badass 2014 Thanos, where he has this dual-bladed sword, and he does some absolute devastation to our main gang of heroes. Because Thor has Stormbreaker and Mjolnir, Cap, of course, has his shield, and Tony has his new nanotech suit, and he still does an awesome job of beating him back. But right to flip it, we get one of the best scenes in the entire movie where... Thor's about to essentially be killed with the sword or the Stormbreaker being stabbed into him, just like he was stabbing Stormbreaker into Thanos. And then Mjolnir comes and Cap can wield it. And when I went to the first showing on Friday, the audience clapped when Cap gets that iconic shot, finally holding Mjolnir. And then he uses it like a pro. He throws yeah. it against his shield. It creates this whole concussive boom. And you have him just pulling up the lightning from the ground. And it's just awesome to see Cap do that. And then, then you get Thor's line, I knew it. Yeah. And then you like, and yeah, he just uses it so perfectly. And you're like, he's, he can use it. Like everyone's been waiting for this because you have that one scene where yeah, in Ultron, yep. in Ultron, where Thor was nervous when Captain went to go try to pick it up when everyone was doing the thing and they're trying to pick it up. And then you could see him kind of nervous that all of a sudden Captain America was going to be able to pick it up and then he couldn't, but now he's worthy. He can use it. He, and he, can wield it and then he starts doing some serious damage with it uh but and inevitably it's not enough to take down thanos but then we get the next big huge sequence of the film which now we all of a sudden uh you think all hope's lost well, yeah so before we get there i mean thanos breaks cap shield he gets his oh yeah yeah dual sword and it. breaks it down in half and then cap stands up by himself he straps his shield on harder, and Alex's like, okay, this is the end of Captain America. You know, Thor and Iron Man are knocked out, and Thanos is just going to finish the job. And then you hear Falcon on Cap's intercom, and he's like, Cap, Cap, are you there? And then he says, on your left, and all the portals open, and this is, for me, the best movie scene I've ever seen in my entire life. Everybody comes back. You have Black Panther show up. You have the Guardians fly in. You have Spidey fly in. And I mean, I was just absolutely going insane during this entire sequence. Yeah, these are all the portals Doctor Strange is opening. So right. Strange is opening all these portals. And then when Spidey comes in, he's like, yeah, Doctor Strange told us it was five years in the future and that we had to come quickly. And so he had obviously, because he knows time, he knew what had happened, even though everyone else, it's like you were just waking up and you don't really know what happened. Uh, it just felt like a dream. He knew exactly what happened. He had already seen this. This was, he remember, he saw... All those millions and millions One of combinations. One in 14 million, 605 possibilities. 
that. <laughs> he saw the one and he knew like this has to happen. So he brought everyone back for this massive battle against Thanos. And you can see Thanos is looking a little worried at this point. You're right. Well, Once they all start showing, showing up. up. Yeah. And I mean, Cap gets that famous line, Avengers, assemble. And that's absolutely amazing. And then just that whole battle sequence, they executed it as well as I could have possibly ever imagined to bring comic books to life, to everybody's powers just in full display, being absolutely awesome as they try to get the Iron Gauntlet with the six stones on it over to Ant-Man and his little tiny quantum realm in the back of the van. And just seeing everybody at full power, you get to see Giant Man come out and he punches that Shishuri right in the face, that big flying Shishuri, that's absolutely awesome. And just that whole sequence of them all coming to the portals, all lined up, ready to go. Yeah, and then there's one great scene where you get like all the female characters all oh, come together. Yes, and the women feels, of power. It feels lineup. a little forced, but it doesn't it, even matter. But the, my only problem with that that one part of that sequence is Captain Marvel could have easily just picked up that gauntlet and flown right through that entire thing without any help. She already flew through in a giant ship and took it down. She can fly through a whole bunch of enemies and just take them out and go right to that van on her own. She really didn't need any help. Just that. But when they're lined up, you have, you know, Nebula and Pepper and Gamora and Wasp and Captain Marvel, and Okoye, and Scarlet Witch all lined up like that. I mean, I'm already having goosebumps from when they all come back from the snap. And then you have this scene. I just, like, I don't usually speak, and I had to be like, just, <laughs> like, it's just so overwhelming that you're seeing it all happen together. Yeah, no, it was, it, like, the, it, they'll never be able to get this many of these characters on the screen once again. Like, this is a very special, special scenario that I don't think we're going to see again. Hey, just the whole Captain Marvel appearance where all of a sudden the ship starts shooting upward and Tony's like, Friday, what are they shooting at? And it's Captain Marvel. She comes in, she rips through the whole ship, and then she has a really good character arc where... I didn't want her to come in and just defeat Thanos one-on-one, -on -one, just kind of tip the scales in the Avengers' favor, where she just helps out. She's actually part of the team. But they still show how powerful she is, where she's fighting Thanos one-on-one, -on -one, and he does his classic headbutt to her, and it doesn't have any impact on her whatsoever. And But then Thanos still knocks her away by ripping the Power Stone off and just absolutely leveling her. And just that's a good thing where... She's not super overpowered, but she's still super powerful within the context of the MCU. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'd love that. That I, I was worried when you after you saw her in the, her movie, like I, I was thinking she's going to be way too powerful for anything. She could just go and take him out. And I, I was happy, too, that they kind of tempered her down, that there was a way that he could fight back. And it just wasn't a, a one sided battle that ended super quickly. And then we get to two scenes right together that tie in. And so they're not going to make it to the van. It gets blown up. And Tony looks to Doctor Strange and he points his one finger up at Tony. And Tony knows what to do at that point. And so it's this great sequence where Thanos gets the Infinity Gauntlet, the Iron Gauntlet. And Tony grabs onto him and then he's knocked away. And Thanos does the snap and nothing happens. And then we see the nanotech over on Tony's suit putting the six gems into place on his uh, armor. And, you know, Thanos just said, I'm in inevitable. And Tony responds with the actual 
la- line that starts off the whole MCU back in 2008, and I am Iron Man, and does the snap, and that is just an absolutely amazing, epic conclusion to Tony's saga, because he's not powerful enough to take it. He knows it's going to kill him, and he does it, and he defeats all of Thanos' army. Right, yeah, the entire army just gets obliterated, they start disappearing into dust, and everyone's gone and you knew like this was the end of tony you knew this how like basically the movie ends how it started you tony is going to die at this point you know there's nothing that's going to save him at this point and he started the whole mcu it makes sense that he would be the one to put an end to this and have this giant 11 year arc coming to this point and it was just like a perfect move for him like he was the one who had to do this like there was no other way they were going to get around this his arc had played out i mean it just seemed like a perfect ending for him to be the hero and i mean it's just to be classic tony fashion to have some snide remark to not just do the snap but to say and i am iron man and then do it and then i mean i didn't cry but my tears you know my eyes were getting nice and watery when Peter comes flying up, you know, and he's like, Mr. Stark, Mr. Stark. And then (laughs) Pepper, I don't really care about, you know, her connection to Tony. I never really care about Gwyneth Paltrow, but Peter really brings it on. And then just she seemed way too like together. Like she didn't seem sad. Yeah, I I just don't care about accepted it. Because everybody's death on screen is always going to be determined more by how the characters around act than the person who's dying and so that's why tom holland did an absolutely excellent job in that sequence and then you go to everybody's faces and then we go to the funeral and i mean that is just a great ending to tony and just if you don't feel emotional during that sequence you have no regard for anything in the marvel universe yes your heart is is not in there i don't know what what's wrong with you but yeah no it was it's in just speaking of Tom Holland, like in Infinity War, he had that whole scene where he was dying, where he's mm-hmm. like pulling at your heartstrings. He's like, I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. And like, you're like, oh, no, this is it. And then, then as soon as you hear his voice in this, I'm like, oh, crap, here it comes. This yeah. is going to get to me. And yeah, so it's it was just like a really well, well done. My OK, as far as Pepper goes. The biggest problem I have with that is I didn't like how she was, like, not emotional whatsoever. But then, shouldn't she have superpowers? I thought at the end of Iron Man 3, she had some kind of glowing superpowers. Yeah, I don't think it's healing, though. But, yeah, she has some... Yeah, but I don't know Iron what Man it is. is terrible. It's but just wh- that whole flaming thing that uh, Guy Ritchie has or whatever. Not but the, no, the, what, the <laughs> Guy Ritchie. Guy. No, it's but, the other guy. I don't know what his <laughs> name is. But, but, but they don't do anything with that like they've never done anything with that and now it's her story are pretty much done now that tony's gone like yeah are we never gonna find out what this ever was yeah because iron man 3 sucked and no one cares yeah <laughs> but then we get to the actual funeral sequence and the most surprising thing for me is that his daughter morgan is introduced in this movie and she only is probably on screen for five minutes 
and you still feel it when he has his holograms given his whole speech about oh the hopefully this is a happy ending and the good guys and we have return to normalcy that gets to me just showing her face and then you rewatch the movie again and when she's laying in bed back at the very start of the movie and she says i love you 3000 it gets to you right at the start now that you know the whole conclusion of the movie Oh, my God. Oh, that got to me right away, even the first time I saw it. When she says, I love you 3,000, I'm thinking of my own daughters. I'm like, oh, great. But But she does a great job, the little actress who plays Morgan. Oh, yeah, Yeah. she did a great job, especially when she's swearing. (laughs) (laughs) I I told my daughters, they paid her to swear. You don't swear. They paid her to swear. (laughs) And so then the funeral ends, and... Cap's job is now to get the six uh, Infinity Stones plus Mjolnir and return them to their proper timelines and fix everything. And we don't see that. Essentially, he comes back and nobody appears on the screen or on the little time portal. And it turns out he's over sitting on a bench and Cap is like 95 years old. They did a great job of aging Chris Evans to look relatively authentic. Like, you know how good they de-aged Michael Douglas or Samuel L. Jackson. But to age him, he, he looks like how I think Chris Evans would look at 95 years old. Yeah, it didn't look like prosthetics. Like It looked like proper aging. It didn't look so incredibly fake and stupid looking. And so then we find out that Cap went back in time and he decided to live his life. He decided to be with Peggy. And honestly, I like the idea of the sequence. I like the end to Cap's storyline. I like that he then makes Sam the new Captain America. He, he tells him before he leaves, you're a good man. And that's from the first Captain America, first Avenger, the scientist guy played by Stanley Tucci, tells Steve Rogers, you're a good man. That's why I picked you for this super soldier program. And I didn't know where they were going to go. Are they going to go Bucky or are they going to go Sam? And I see why they went Sam. So this is where I'm confused because... Bucky has super he's a super soldier. He has right. enhanced strength and everything else where Sam is basically a dude in a suit right now. He just has his Falcon suit. So right. how are they going to make him like strong enough soldier? to really be? Yeah. yeah. Like, is he going to get injected? Is he are they going to build him like some kind of a suit? To, is he going to be like a more like an Iron Man kind of thing? Right. And yeah. I, I don't know. But. Fortunately, we have a Disney Plus series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, to go dive into this even more. So yet again, we'll be hitting Disney Plus to figure this out. Yep. And so that kind of ties over the whole movie. But then, you know, it's not a perfect movie, just because I think it's the best movie I've ever seen, because there's absolutely amazing sequence. There's still problems with the movie. And part of it goes with what you deal with time. So Cap's goal is to cut all the branches of time. And instead... He goes and creates and plants a redwood tree in the middle of time by going and being with Peggy because that whole timeline, he isn't alive. He's frozen the ice in this whole timeline, and Peggy is the head of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so now, obviously, she's going to act differently. She's going to do things differently by being with Steve Rogers, and there's no way on earth I could believe that Steve Rogers wouldn't step in to fight in some situation during his entire life he just always has that call to action in him right right yeah like how you not like how is he back in their timeline when obviously things would have been totally different like it would have had to be some other alternate arc that they wouldn't have been in for him to see it like i i don't know it it that was the one thing where it didn't seem to go off there everything's going to stay the exact same. You can't change the future vision of time travel. 
Yeah, so they they kind of messed with time. That's the biggest one. But also, the 2014 timeline, there's no Thanos in it now. He comes to them, and they kill him. So that 2014 timeline never deals with the threat of Thanos. Because you can put the Power Stone back, but you can't put Thanos back. You can't put all of his forces back. So that timeline's all messed up. Well, and you got Gamora from that timeline, too. Like, Well, she's not at the funeral. And then at the end... So we didn't talk about that. Thor goes on the Milano. He's with the Guardians. He calls it as Guardians of the Galaxy. And Quill has a little panel up searching for Gamora. So I don't know what they're going to do with that because the Soul Stone should be permanent. I don't like them undoing the Soul Stone because then you could always go back and get Black Widow. Right. So I don't know what they're doing with Gamora because she's not there at the end. I don't know if Tony snapped her when he just killed all of the... Thanos' forces. No, or... she's she's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And yeah, gonna but have is it to... going to be like a search for Spock thing? I don't know. Yeah, where they're going to have to <laughs> rediscover their love story. And well, yeah, So the biggest disappointment I had with the Thor meeting up with the Guardians is why the heck didn't Chris Pratt call him out on his big fat beer belly that was a missed opportunity because he was all like in in yeah rocket Thor says Ragnar. you're one sandwich you're one away, sandwich away. Yeah. yes <laughs> like why didn't he call him out like it should have been that one line he should have called him out although maybe you're just scared because it was that whole back and forth about who's the leader and he kind of right. gives him like this death stare and said oh yes we all know who the leader is yeah uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's I that was a missed opportunity, although maybe there was something and they cut it out for time. But that was my one disappointment with that. But I'm looking forward to Guardians of Galaxy 3. As Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yes. As, <laughs> yes. Uh, I love with, that. With Thor as part of the mix, because he basically has no one else now. He has like all of his all the Asgardians are like all with Valkyrie with Valkyrie now. And so there's nothing he has like no one else to be with. So why not put him with these other people that go out in space? It, It seems like a good fit. Yep. And so the other timeline kind of weird oddity is that in Guardians 1, Star-Lord, you know, he does that whole cool dancing around sequence and it's great comic relief when they cut the music and you just hear him dancing around and War Machine says he's an idiot and all that stuff. Yeah. But (laughs) then War Machine knocks him out cold. And in the first Guardians, Korath from Captain Marvel, he shows up like five seconds after Star-Lord gets the Power Stone. So now he's knocked out. He's knocked out for even if it's 10 minutes, Korath is going to get there before Star-Lord. So everything that happens in Guardians is kind of changed. Right. Unless they went there and got there even faster than him walking around. That's all I could figure is he does his old slow walking around, singing into the thing. And they knock him out early into that sequence. So maybe they're just faster (laughs) because she's also just sticks her hand right in that thing and it melts off all her fake skin. And she doesn't take the time to use the little thing to figure out the codes. So I granted they are a little slower on the opening of the lock, but. All I could figure is they were faster and yeah, they got out of there. They're right going to hope so because you don't want to open up, you don't want to unravel anything that's been done in any of the other movies. Right. Although they can't technically unravel because it's already been written. Yeah, that's so, you know, the movie sets up a multiverse without mentioning it because you're already telling a general audience. I mean, the movie made 1.2 billion. There's only so much you can talk sci fi to such a wide audience that's not like super niche heavy into the comic world. But They set up the multiverse. They didn't create it. They didn't talk about it. But it's all the pieces are there for them in the future to have a multiverse. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and so that, that's gonna, always fun. Well, they have that other animated series they're planning on doing the what if, where they do what happens if some other thing happened that different than how it actually happened and what events that triggers. So they do have a series where they can explore these things as well. Right. And so other problems with the movies, the big one is Rat X Machina. The entire fate of the world is based on a rat walking across the top of uh, Ant-Man's van. And that's kind of disappointing <laughs> for a story perspective idea. Like, it's fun, but you're telling me if the rat doesn't step on this t- t- truck or the van, this none, nothing ever happens. You know, Tony never gets the idea for anything. So I don't know. I don't know if I would have used rat. But on the flip side, it did take five years for the rat to run across the dash of this van. It's not like he did it the day after Hope and Hank Pym go missing. Right. Uh, well, they would have had to take time to move the 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 van anyways, right? It wouldn't right. have been that same day. You would have had to have a, a uh, person that drives a tow truck that didn't get vanished come and get, get the thing and yeah, then move it. Yeah, I wanted Ken Jong to maybe elbow it or something over a rat. Okay. So my wife brought up a good point. What happened to like if there was a jet out there, right? And the pilot is the one who disappeared and then the plane went down and then you had all of these people that died. Oh, there's like 350 people on the plane who die. Yeah. Yeah. So when this pilot gets just like reappears, I assume you reappear where you were. They said that happened. Does he just reappear in the sky and drop to his death? And and not only that, do so say half of the plane turned to dust. The other half of the plane died because the pilot goes missing. Do they get brought back or their deaths are different? My you know, guess their deaths are different. Snapped away. Yeah, that's pretty horrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then also there's the idea that so they have those really heavy product placement for the Audi. You what? Fly over, I missed that. No, but you fly over City Field. It's completely dilapidated. Ant-Man walks down the street of San Francisco, and you have Priuses up on cinder blocks. But Audi's factory is out producing fancy new cars for some reason. <laughs> I, I don't understand this world. They must have been part of the, the, the people that survived on Audis, I guess. <laughs> yep. And then probably another point that kind of goes with the rat is that I understand Tony's a super genius, but it takes him a few hours to figure out time travel, to literally do something that is so fabricated, you actually solved it in six hours. Like right after dinner, you know, he's doing the dishes and then he does a few simulations and then he says, okay, last simulation for the night. Let's do an inverted Mobius strip. So he's done a few simulations prior, but it's still that same night. He solves time travel. Yeah, and he didn't even need to hit his head or have a flex capacitor. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, Tony's super brilliant. <laughs> Maybe a bit too super brilliant in the context of the film, but okay. Yeah, uh, well, you got to cut out some stuff for time. Maybe maybe there's an extended, extended cut where it actually takes him a few days. Yeah. And I mean, really, just... I, those are problems with the movie, but I live with them. They go with the flow of the film. It's, it's super entertaining to go about it. It's not like, oh, God, this detracts from my enjoyment of the film or anything like that. I mean, it's absolutely epic film. And the resulting last hour battle sequence is worth anything. They could have done the stupid... Like, I don't think they're necessarily stupid. The time travel makes sense as much as you can make sense in sci-fi. But that hour last sequence of everybody coming back and all that happens, I don't even care. 
Right, <laughs> and they did a great job of just kind of laying it out there with both humor and giving you the actual rules of how time travel works within this universe so you can set expectations ahead of time. So that way you're not, like, spending your time, well, like, how we're picking apart now. You can just get in there and enjoy it. You know the the laws. They've given you the laws. They've done it in a way where you understand, and then uh, they just kind of move on and don't... St- don't spend too much time, but enough time, which sometimes with these time travel movies, they use all this like crazy language to try to explain it all. And then it's this convoluted thing where they really try to go over and the top. And they change the rules it. as they go. And yeah, they, yeah. So if you it, ground it based on as the facts of your universe, like obviously time travel is fake. So if you set it up of a fact in your universe for specific reasons and don't change those reasons as you go, I have no problem with it. Yeah, and I love the fact that they relate it to movies that everyone has seen. Oh, that is a great sequence where and, they list and, them all off. Right, where they list them all off, and then you know that because time travel is in Die Hard, it doesn't work. No. <laughs> Wait, that's not a time travel movie. No. <laughs> You're telling me Back to the Future is bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> That whole sequence of just mentioning Terminator and Time Cop and then the hot tub time machine to round it off. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ant-Man had some great sequences, too. Like, he's there for comic relief, and he absolutely nails every single one that he's in. Of having the taco, you know, he puts it all in, and then it all gets blown <laughs> out. Or saying that we only have enough pin particles for a return trip for everybody plus two test runs, and then he messes it up, and he's, make that one test run. <laughs> and then he goes to being a baby and an old man. I think only Scott Lang pulls that off. Oh, yeah, and they said, and someone wet the, uh, wet the, uh, the suit. suit and, yeah. uh, I don't know if it was old, old me, me old young me. me, or me, me. Yep. And, I mean, that's a pretty good wrap-up of Infinity War. Again, just the whole Tony's death sequence is absolutely epic and everybody coming back and falcon saying on your left of all the possible things because from winter soldier when he first meets falcon and caps lapping him he always says on your left and so falcon is the first one to say that and bring it all full circle there's so many full circle ideas you know the i am iron man is full circle having avengers the first one play a key role into defeating thanos and endgame it's just so perfect yeah i especially if you hopefully you've already seen this and we didn't just spoil it all for you but hopefully you've also gone through and actually watched all the movies and because you really will get the most out of these if you do go back i want to go back and i'll do it with my younger daughter to go back and rewatch some of the ones i haven't watched in years uh to mm-hmm. just and i'm sure there'll be things that i'll like oh yeah that was a tie-in to to this movie i'll probably skip thor 2 again because that was horrendously bad but the rest of them uh i'll go through and it's they're just a really great collection of movies like marvel knows how to do these movies right dc has done just such a horrible job of these movies but marvel has done an amazing job of blending that action humor and emotion especially with this this latest end game like so much emotion in there but then having all of this comic relief to help you kind of deal with the heavy stuff and the action to just kind of let you just zone out and just enjoy the mindless senseless action that's on the screen and you don't even have to think about anything but they've just done such a great job and that's why i think even though this has ended we're going to the can still come up with plenty more content going forward 
Oh, I mean, I don't know what Phase 4 is going to hold, but there's so many avenues you could potentially go. Like, I think the whole Fantastic Four X-Men is way down the line, even with the Fox acquisition, because I think they planned out Phase 4 probably five, six years ago when the first Avengers movie, or at least Ultron's coming out. So they kind of have that setup of what they're doing. But you have big ideas down the road. Yeah, I mean, I don't... When do they normally announce the, the next phases? Like, will we get to... I'm wondering well, if it's not going to be... Far From Home ends phase three, surprisingly enough. It sounds odd, but it actually does. Okay. Yeah, because I... Yeah, we know Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, Guardians 3, for sure. Right. And then I'm wondering if much of the stuff we're not going to hear about until the actual launch of Disney Plus. And then we see what's on Disney Plus that ties into the next years of movies down the road. Mm -hmm. Disney Plus is definitely going to play a big role. And one kind of line that I like to point out in when Natasha's talking to Koi, they're all on the hologram screens, you know, five years down the road. Koi says... There's a earthquake under the ocean. What do you what what are we supposed to do? We don't do anything about it. Well, Marvel has their alternative to Aquaman. He's called the Submariner. He's Neymar. And this could set that up. Like he's one of the very first characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like the first Marvel comic is way back and then they went on a hiatus and then they relaunched themselves with Fantastic 4 in 1961 and then the Submariner is essentially right there at the same time. And so to introduce him kind of, if they ever do this, with that kind of throwaway line in Endgame, that's perfectly Marvel. Right, right, yeah. Because they, I mean, they have all these characters, and now they've got other ones back, and so they can do, they have a whole slate of things to pull on, and people that know this stuff like it's, like every single thing about it probably picked up on even more stuff than we even have, but mm-hmm. that are like fans of the, of the comic series, they probably know, Oh, they could do this, 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 this. Uh, but yeah, it's just, there's so much out there for them to draw on that. Who knows what's, what's going to be, but they have plenty of stuff they could do. Yeah. The X-Men are going to be tougher. So fantastic four, you can put them anytime because then it introduces Silver Surfer and Galactus and a greater universe threat, you know, to end up another, like, say it's Phase 4, 5, and 6, you have some big, gigantic threat. And that's just going to come down to casting. And the way Marvel has casted everybody so far, I can't complain. They're absolutely amazing. Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth and Mark Ruffalo, they're just absolutely amazing casting. And so if they nail the casting on Fantastic Four, and more specifically Doctor Doom, who's an excellent bad guy, then... The sooner they put them in, the better. Yeah, I mean, they can't They can't do any worse than the, the previous two attempts at Fantastic Right, that, Four, that's so. the only difficult part, is that they there's gotta so get over much that. recency of it. Yeah. Right. And so. then also, you have X-Men are going to be really tough, just because every single superhero in the MCU wasn't born with their powers. Every human on Earth. Like, Thor is born with his powers, but he's not a human. So every human that we know... They all get their powers after they're born. And X-Men, it's the whole gene. You know, it's a whole kind of DNA code that switches that one mutant gene becomes superhero or super abilities. And we've never seen that in this entire scope of the MCU. So 
you can't just say, oh, now babies are being born with the ge- with this mutant gene because then they're babies, so they can't really help out. And you can't say that over the past 20 years, they've had these mutant genes. So X-Men are going to be really tough to incorporate in the MCU because they've never really talked about mutant genes. So the only thing they could do is have, like, it's one of these other realities where this is happening, mm-hmm. and somehow these realities get smashed together down the road, and now all of a sudden they're in this universe is the only thing I could think they could do somehow mash them together because yeah, why would they have not run into this before now at this point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a definite difficult one, but they have so much to rely on. Even if you just did Dr. Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel and guardians, that's going to get a ton of people interested in where the MCU is going forward. Yep. And one other kind of point I didn't make is that, Thanos by Josh Brolin. I mean, Josh Brolin makes Infinity War an endgame. He's just an excellent portrayal of Thanos and just seeing him on screen, he just nails it. And it still offers some funny points. So at the end, you know, this is 2014 Thanos. The 2019 Thanos that we saw in Infinity War, he had to earn it to get those six stones. It wasn't a cakewalk. He had to do all kinds of fights and battles and deal with all kinds of stuff. This 2014 Thanos doesn't know the struggles that he went through. So there's a subtle arrogance to it because he even mentions that whole line about the arrogant rarely do of, you know, expecting things or, you know, they didn't suspect a thing. And so just to have that different Thanos to fight where we get him full peak form Thanos and we get to see how truly awesome he is, even without the gauntlet, like we know with the gauntlet, how powerful he is, but even without it, he's just super awesome. But he still takes the time in true villain and Thanos fashion to monologue. Like I couldn't help but think of Syndrome Incredibles 2. Oh, you sly dog, you caught me monologuing where he could kill (laughs) Captain America, but he has to tell about how awesome he is and how inevitable he is. I know. Well, that kind of frustrated me a bit because he should have just gone after him. He had him down. Like, why didn't he go? Like, of course, he's going to get back up if you give him time. So not that I want Cap to die, but it just like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Yeah, I can do this all day. Yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah, that's Avengers Endgame. And again, it's it's something different for episode 100. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of it. And there's one other big kind of... So that was the whole movie realm. There's also a TV realm. And before we get to Game of Thrones Season 8 Episode 3, it's now time for our giveaway. So we're using Gleam as a way to do it. The details will be in the official post on appadvice.com and appaddict.net for how to enter. But you will need this keyword. And so the keyword is Stark. You enter that in, S-T-A-R-K, and that will allow you to do the various forms of entry to kind of retweet and repost and let people know about our podcast and hopefully leave a review on iTunes if you're enjoying what you're listening to. Yep. So let's let's get into the TV part of the program. So we're just going to focus on specifically the Battle of Winterfell. And for me, I'm having a tough time extracting myself from just looking at Game of Thrones. I keep comparing it to Endgame, and that's not a fair comparison for Game of Thrones, so I'll try not to compare it as best I can. And so really the idea is that hopefully, again, you're watching Game of Thrones. The Night King has advanced to Winterfell. All of his forces are there on the outside of it, and all of humanity except for Cersei and her 20,000 forces are ready to battle and kind of fight for the continuation of humanity because the Night King's eventual goal is to kill Bran, erase human history, 
all that good stuff. And so we get to see this all unfold. The first two episodes were all set up for this episode to really not have much dialogue at all and just focus on extended battle sequence and just absolutely amazing cinematography. Right, yeah. So we waited for the like the end of last episode. We knew that this battle was about to take place. We knew like something big's going down. We think the body count's going to be huge. And now we're just waiting to see who's going to die. Right. And that that's probably the most interesting aspect is that I thought more people were going to die. You know, essentially, the main characters were all that left. So the course of this battle, we get to see just utter devastation from the Night King. We get this brilliant shot at the start where the Dothraki all have their swords flaming thanks to Melisandre who shows up out of the blue and they all charge forward and we get to see them all extinguished. You know, it looks like this gigantic wave of flame going forward and then it's all put out. And so that shows kind of just right at the start what the Night King and his army is capable of. But on the flip side, it shows how stupid everyone is at Winterfell. It's a terrible battle strategy to even be outside of the castle in the first place and then send your forces out instead of waiting for them to come to you. Yeah, I mean, their strategy is dumb just all over the place. I mean, you even put like a whole group of people in the crypts against a guy who can raise the dead. Like, what are you expecting is going to happen? Like, I don't know. There was just a lot of dumb uh, planning that went into it. But uh, the one thing I will mention is you notice this right from the start. The episode is very, very dark because it all takes place at night. It all like you have everything's by like flame. Uh, the only kind of lights are, are actual like flames and other things. There's like no actual natural light coming in. So the episode, I found it to be almost too dark. Like I had trouble making out things that were on the screen. I didn't adjust the brightness of my TV. I, I thinking back afterwards, I probably should have, but I really had problems making out a lot of the content that was even on the screen. And I know they probably did that for a visual sense. Like you have this fog of war, all the action is kind of going on and this is kind of how they would have seen it. But I just felt like I was missing things because I couldn't see the action on the screen. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I only noticed once I was checking Twitter that people had problems. And I guess it is that TV calibration kind of thing. A lot of people are watching it streaming based. So HBO is going to compress it before they do stream it. So it's not going to be the way the cinematographer intended it. And I mean, there's some absolutely beautiful, stunning shots once you get into it. Like after that Dothraki battle, once we get inside Winterfell, I don't think you notice darkness like when the dragons are battling up above they go fly above the clouds or once you know there's the dragon flames all around the region it seems like the light picks up from there yeah it got a little bit better there still were some sequences that were just so dark like i i I likened to almost like watching the first transformers film where it was just a mash of like bones on the screen i couldn't make out much and a lot of like gnarling and gnashing of teeth sounds and you couldn't see a lot of the action on the screen, which I felt, I don't know. I, I probably should have tried to adjust my TV. I just felt like I, it, it was a little underwhelming. Uh, I, I don't know. It was, it was tough because I know we don't want to compare Avengers to Game of Thrones, but I saw both in the same day. I literally saw Avengers in the morning and then waited till 12 hours later, and then it was Game of Thrones at night. And so 
I saw these both in the same day, and it's tough to not compare them at that point because I went from this everything, I could see everything on the screen, all these like massive battle, clearly see everything to this. I've been looking forward to this massive battle, and now I can't really make anything out during during the fight. Yeah, I didn't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just more focusing on the story ideas at play because, again, everything that the humans do is as stupid as possible. I mean, there's no reason for John to be up on the dragon with Daenerys at all. He's adding no value. He needs to be leading the flank and fighting the army of the dead like he's done and various wars in the past, and so John is completely wasted. And then Daenerys does a great job on her dragon, but then she also leaves her dragon vulnerable, where, you know, her past dragon, her Viserion, the Night King is riding. It's already dead, she's already lost it, now she has to face it again. And it does some damage to John's dragon. I don't know if John's dragon died or not, when it just smashed onto the ground after it gets its wing all ripped up by Viserion, but... That's, I guess, we'll find out next week. And then Drogon itself, it gets completely covered. There must be a thousand of the dead on it, just stabbing it relentlessly. I don't know how it lived through that to come land and curl around Daenerys at the end of the show. Right, yeah. I, well, that's kind of almost a theme of the episode. How did any of these people survive with the amount of dead that were on them at points? Like, there were times where Brienne was just covered him. Yeah. Sam was on the ground, barely, like, probably kicking at them, covered in them. Uh, Jamie was covered at one point with them. Like, I thought this body count was going to be huge, and yet somehow these people survived. And it just seemed almost too ridiculous that none of these people had enough wounds uh, that they were killed. Even the people that did die, they took so many stabbings, so many hits, so many things before they went down that, it, it, I don't know, it just seemed like unbelievable the level of... A, like attack they could take before it took down and these are all just normal humans these aren't superheroes these are just right. normal people we're so not watching spider-man get absolutely obliterated or thor or something so the only person that i could that i was fine with this happening with was barrack because he's been like healed Killed, by the, yeah, by times, the yeah. lord of light so many times and he keeps bringing them back from the dead because he has this quest probably to fulfill and we finally see what that is i don't want to jump the gun but he i could understand could take a lot of damage before going down but jorah i and like he's an old dude like that got healed of like that stone disease he's not a superhero like he should have gone down and he took a lot of damage before going down so i don't know it just seemed a little too ridiculous. It's like they wanted to keep people around when I was almost more disappointed that we didn't lose people than uh, seeing them like triumph in this giant battle. Yeah, that feels like a recurring theme to me, just that whole idea where they put the main characters on this almost superhero level because, like I said, the Dothraki are eliminated within the first few minutes of the show and then the Unsullied have to protect the flanks as everybody's retreating so first of all it's a terrible strategy if you were inside the wall you wouldn't have had to retreat and lose a bunch of forces holding the wall over the retreat and then you're in front of the fire line which guess what you can't light when you're fighting a guy who can create winter storms just by himself so that was a stupid idea it takes melisandre's lord of light power to actually get that lit up but you should have been lined up behind 
that fire trench already, if not inside the wall. They lost so many lives and wasted so many people. But again, tens of thousands of people are killed, except for if we know who they are. Right, exactly. And, and like, did, did these people not have ever seen a zombie movie or something before where, well, I guess technically they haven't, no. <laughs> but you know that the dead bodies are just going to start piling up and then they're going to use them as ramps to go over things. Like, it's, I fully expected them to easily make it through that fire pit that they put, basically the fire moat they put around the thing. All you had to do was have enough bodies fall in there and then they got a ramp for the rest of them to keep on walking right over the fire and not get hurt. So it, I don't know. It just seemed like it was going to be an obvious problem right from the start when they started setting this up. But yeah, I don't know. I, it, to me, I just, I didn't know what I expected going into the episode, but just the sheer fact that people weren't dying was just, I'm like, when are they going to die? Okay, finally, we're going to lose someone. They're getting overwhelmed. Nope. Nope. They're still alive. Nope, Sam somehow is still alive, and he's got a pile of people on him. But, I, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed... I don't know what they're going to do with all these people. I fully expected that we were going to lose at least half of the cast. It, it was really weird, because, you know, they were building it up all week. This is the longest continuous battle sequence in TV or film history, and this is the biggest number of people on screen in our cast at once since the pilot so i'm like okay well we're gonna cut that down right and it turns out throughout the entire show four people were killed that we actually knew their name before the episode started we had ed the member of the night's watch who isn't sam or john and then we have Leanna Mormote go out in absolutely super badass way to that kill a awesome. giant yeah i mean <laughs> that's a great sequence and then you have uh Theon go out when he's protecting Bran at the end. Finally, I mean, guess what? The North remembers. There's no saving you. You're not a good man. I don't care. I was glad to see Theon die. Right, yes, me too. Jorah dies at the end protecting Daenerys. And that's it. We have four people killed. So, everybody... Beric died. Well, actually, I guess technically we don't know if he did die or not. Like, we thought he died, but... He he just collapsed. Yeah, Melisandre... I guess Melisandre dies, too. Yes, she she takes and, off uh, her I, necklace. I completely forgot about the stupid necklace. Like all of a sudden she's walking out, and I'm like, "Wow, they just want to show her naked one more time." And then all of a sudden she started taking off the necklace, and then you saw the gray hair. I'm like, "Okay, we don't need to see that. Just let her die." Okay, she's dying of old age out there, and yeah. we're done with her. Okay. Yeah, so she dies too, and I guess Beric dies with her. Or there's one other the person idea. that dies, but we'll get to that. Yeah, I, I'm talking about of our main cast of heroes. Yes. <laughs> and so that means Jamie, Brienne, Gendry, and... Samwell. Sam, John, Daenerys, Arya, Tyrion, Sansa, Virus. They all... Podrick. Are... Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Oh, wait, <laughs> how did more people not die in the crypt? Like, the they crypt don't have scene weapons. was so weird. Yeah, no one had, like, weapons, but no one was even really dying. Like... I thought we'd lose Varys, at least. Come on, he's good yeah, The whole crypt scene has so much potential. Once you finally start seeing him break out of the stone wall, you're like, okay, the, all these unprotected people are going to get killed. And they're running around and screaming, but they don't... It doesn't lead to anything. You know, Sansa and Tyrion are sitting behind the statue talking to each other, and you see these flashes of people running around and screaming, and no one dies. 
Yeah, I don't know who was dying in there. We saw a couple bodies get dragged. At least they were fast zombies in this, but I don't. It just was so disappointing. Like I don't want Tyrion to die, but I wanted someone to die in there. Like it just seems too ridiculous. Like we're just gonna protect everyone, and is that we're gonna have? Maybe they're playing an even bigger battle with Cersei, with uh, Cersei at the at the end or something. But I don't know. It just seemed too ridiculous, and I. I don't know. It was a a letdown. Yeah, there was inconsistencies too, because like you said, you'd have Brienne just overwhelmed. There's like five dead bodies on top of her and she's screaming and then they cut scene and then we don't see her for a while and then we go back and she's standing upright cutting more people down. And it's like, keep that shot going of her being overwhelmed and making out of it. or You know, don't just cut it Right now, they did the same thing with John. So Arya's right. running through the castle and Right before Barrett comes and saves her. And it's almost like a wave of like water going through the tunnel of dead bodies. And then John shows up and there's like one dead body up in front of him. He slashes him. He takes a few steps and there's another dead body. It's so inconsistent how many dead are in different parts of Winterfell. Well, and then when he's out on the field out there and then all of a sudden the dead body, the dead are rising again and he's running toward the Night King. <clears throat> He should have been totally overwhelmed. There were like hundreds of them out there. Why were they not just getting up and attacking him right away and giving him plenty of time to just slash away, slash away and and get away? Like it made no sense. Like someone should have been overwhelmed out there and no one was ever, even though you saw piles of them, like how would they not just even just bit? or something like even if they're not stabbing them something to like eat away at their feet or their legs or something like there seemed to be no damage these people are just walking away fine after just kind of a little exhausted from swinging their swords but no other problems whatsoever yep and so that that is definitely disconcerting and then we have the whole dragon battle sequence in the sky of the night king riding on Viserion and really doing a great job on John's dragon and then Daenerys comes in and knocks him sideways at the last possible moment. That's a great just battle sequence and really that's kind of what they were building for. We finally get to see the Night King. He's built up for eight seasons of this is ominous threat coming and we get to see him and he is a super awesome bad guy all the way through the show until the last couple minutes which we'll get to but before we get there you know Daenerys comes down and she says Dracarys, and Drogon does this huge blast of fire under the Night King, and nothing happens, and then he has this little smirk on his face. It's like in Last Jedi when Luke just brushes it off when all those yeah. ads are <laughs> yeah. blasting at him. It's the same exact sequence, and it's just super awesome to see. The whole idea of the Night King, which makes him so scary, is that every time you lose one member of your army and it becomes weaker, he gains one ar- member of his army to become stronger. And we get to see that he raises them all between him and John. And like you said, John gets away somehow, even though there's hundreds of guys around him. But they just showed how cool he can be. But they didn't even know. do enough with those after he raised them. Like, it seemed like they hardly even did anything. Like, I thought we were going to see battles amongst, like, friend, like, say, uh, like, Ed went down. All of a sudden, I thought we were going to see him come up and we were going to get a good sword fight or something. Oh, like that, I thought we were going to see... 
our characters fight each other with the, they have to fight the dead version of themselves. Right. Yes. yes. I thought for sure we were going to see like maybe Arya die and now someone's going to fight like a dead Arya and like, yeah, or no. Jamie fight Brienne or something or something. One's yeah. Done and, or the other. Yeah. And, or like Podrick having to fight Brienne or something like something cool, but they seem to not even do anything with that. Like we have these dead come up and they barely even used them. I don't know what Daenerys has been doing, but if she wants to leave, she's going to learn how to use a sword. She She's relying on these dragons. She didn't even seem to really know how to swing a sword. And I, I don't know. It just... I guess I pumped this up too much in my head going into it, and I... It, I, I feel like the same. And it just didn't... Like, it seemed like there were so many missed opportunities within the episode. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. And so we get to that point then. So... Arya does an awesome sequence on, you know, the top of Winterfell where she has her spear and she goes through like 10 of the dead, like super awesomely. And then she gets overwhelmed and we have the Hound and Beric doing their fighting. And again, Hound is afraid of fire. And he's like, we can't win. We're fighting the dead or whatever. And then Beric's like, tell her that. And then we get into the whole room where they get a little breather. Melisandre's there and she tells her, what do we tell the God of Death? Not today. And then we get to say you'll close brown eyes and green eyes and blue eyes. And then it dawns on us what that actually means. And I, I didn't pick up it, of it until after I watched the episode and kind of yes. ruminated on it. But that's just such an amazing sequence because then it leads to the eventual climax of the show. Again, they show the Night King being a super badass. Everything that he did worked perfectly according to plan. And he's slowly but surely stepping towards to kill Bran. He's unsheathing his sword to do it. He goes through Theon and all the swordsmen. His White Walker generals are standing by his side. And then Arya swoops in out of nowhere. And <laughs> she does her awesome dagger drop between her hands. Because you know what's so awesome is that he sees it. Even she comes up from behind him, super stealth to everybody else. He grabs her by the throat and the hand, and he stops her dead in her tracks. And then she drops the dagger to herself, stabs him in the middle. He explodes into ice. All of his minions are exploded into ice. She saves Bran. But that sequence, before we get there, you know, you're watching it and you're like, he's not going to die in this episode. He's actually going to make it to episode four. And then you're like, he's just going to overwhelm everything. He's launch He's going to King's Landing. He's going to kill Bran right here. You're like, who could possibly save the day? And you're thinking where everybody's at. You're like, John's not going to make it. Who else even is there? And then I'm like, Arya. And then you see her. And I just, I pumped my arms into the air. I was like, Arya. And it's awesome <laughs> when she flies in like that. And it's you just a, a super badass moment. You see a little bit of wind blow, blow his hair. And then... Right. You're supposed to think that she's dropping the knife, but as soon as she dropped the knife, as soon as it started going down, I'm like, she's doing the move. She's going to grab it and stab him. I knew she was going to do the move because this is the same move she did on Brienne. I, I couldn't seven. possibly tell you what episode it was, but yeah. yeah. And so I knew she was doing the move. I didn't I, like I think they were trying to catch some people like, oh, no, she's dropping the knife. She's not going to be able to do it. But no, as soon as I saw that knife dropping down, I knew she was doing the move and we got it. My only problem with the sequence, because it was awesome, was we didn't see her really sneaking up. We didn't like I would have preferred. I, I know they have the element of surprise and that's what makes it like super cool. But I think they could have gotten still the same effect of you thinking that she was caught if they showed you some of the lead up of her 
moving up and going after him because otherwise it seems like she just comes out of freaking nowhere out of the air and and jumping and trying to get him it just i don't know it seemed almost like because that's in like the last couple of minutes of of the episode it's like we're running out of time we don't have time to show this we just gotta show her just popping in and do it like it seemed like it was like they cut stuff out when they could have cut out other stuff and built this up a little bit more to have some frame of reference of her coming in. Like, I thought she was going to pop up and appear like Scooby-Doo style, pull off a mask, and she was not the White Walker next to him, and then stab him. I didn't know she was just going to jump out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a great sequence by itself. It's the best part of the episode. It's one of the best parts of Game of Thrones, just the way it's taken together. But I can definitely see changing it around a little and also you could have her she's actually dressed as bran or bran has a dragon glass dagger underneath all those 10 pounds of cloaks that he has something to do anything (laughs) but just taking that scene by itself it's absolutely amazing but in the greater context of game of thrones it's disappointing simply because they built the night king up for eight seasons they show how essentially unstoppable he is throughout this entire episode and then one dagger to the midsection and everything is erased. Everything that's built for a thousand years, thousands of years since they lost to the first men when the children of forest first created the Night King. Well, supposedly the spot where she stabbed him is the same spot where he got made into the Night King. Mm-hmm. That's the same. Right. So uh, I don't know how she would have necessarily known that that's the spot to hit him in. But he, I don't know. The thing that annoyed me was he kind of just stood there with Theron and he ran into him and then just basically committed suicide and got killed. And then just kind of standing there. Like, I expect him to do something more cool, like maybe... I don't know, send some dead... We never really saw him fight one-on-one with anyone. Like, he just kind of just stood there and kind of let his army do stuff, but we never really saw him do anything himself except for the one little smirk. Right, yeah. And, I don't know, I just... I kind of expected him to go on to King's Landing to take to build him up so much in one episode and then take him down in the same episode is... It's just such a big threat entirety of Game of Thrones to dismiss in one episode was disappointing. They did it absolutely amazing with Arya using the dagger that Bran was tried to be killed with back in season one that sets off this whole chain of events in the entire story. But you take that scene by itself amazing. You take it within the whole episode and the whole eight seasons, and it's just disappointing the way that the Night King ends. Yeah, no, I fully expected it to end in this episode because you figure we only have three after this. So they're going to have a recovery episode, an episode with a big giant battle for King's Landing, and then a wrap-up kind of episode. So I figured it was gonna he was going to be taken out this episode. I just didn't figure it was going to be kind of non-eventful with as far as attacks on him for most of the episode and then just one little one minute sequence where he's taken out right at the very end yeah i i i knew what was like i expected him to die i just i don't know why it destroys the whole mythology that you've created the whole children of the force who cares now the whole first man the symbols all that who cares they killed him it doesn't even matter i have no care about any of the mythology of game of thrones and they've reduced it all and who's going to be on the iron throne which it's such a impermanence thing that 
it, it just reduces the whole thousand year kind of thing to as soon as Cersei dies or Bran dies or John dies or Daenerys dies or somebody else, it all starts over again. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always kind of saw this as a side thing. And really, the main point of the whole thing is who is going to be on the throne. I, I kind of always saw the this. The throne is just such impermanence. And the Night right, King but is I permanence. still always saw this Night King thing as like a side thing where they just added some kind of weird sci-fi element to the thing. And it was always kind of separate to me. I don't know. It, I, I always felt like they were two separate, completely separate stories going on. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that. Part of me, though, just feels that the Arya sequence defines the whole show and that it's a superhero moment. It's not a Game of Thrones moment where at the very in any superhero movie, the hero's introduced, kicks ass, goes down to a low point, And then at the last possible second, rises up and saves the day. And that's not Game of Thrones. That's perfect for a superhero storyline. But Game of Thrones the people aren't in the right positions at the right posi- right time to save the day. That's never how it's been. So to make this whole episode, like we were talking about, all these select people we know, they live through trying and really impossible circumstances. And then Arya defines it by coming out of nowhere and saving the day as a superhero. It's just, it wasn't Game of Thrones. No, you know, it, it was almost exactly like the Thor moment in Infinity War, right near the end, where he just jumps out of nowhere with his with Stormbreaker and basically hits Thanos. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't that much different than, than like, like you said, a superhero moment in, in like the big battle at the end of a superhero movie. Yeah. Because Game of Thrones, it's usually grounded in some semblance of reality. Like there's the whole fantasy ideas and medieval ideas, but it's a gritty realism. Like, you know, the Avengers in-game battle, I expect fantastic battles with people with special abilities. In Game of Thrones, I expect sword fights that are absolutely devastating of various kinds of wounds and combat. Like the Battle of the Bastards, it's really gritty in the mud and the devastation of what they're setting up. And this one, it's like this whole completely removed from the Game of Thrones world as this own little piece of superhero action. Oh, right. I agree. The Battle of the Bastards was a much better fight. It was, it seemed more realistic. It seemed like it, when people got stabbed, you saw blood, you saw people dying, you saw limbs being taken off. Like this, it just seemed like everyone was undead themselves. Like you couldn't kill them. I don't, it just, I don't know what happened. Like, were they all like blessed by the Lord of Light, and for some reason none could get hurt? I I don't know. I'm kind of hoping there's some sort of explanation in the next episode as to how these people possibly survived. Are we supposed to just believe that they had some spirit or spiritual thing on their side that helped them get through what should have been an impossible battle? Yeah, I I really don't know. I think. Again, it was more about making this for a general audience as accessible as possible. When, Like, you know, the books aren't written for what they're showing in the show. And so to just kind of go with, we're going to make a show where 20 million people are going to watch versus a show that 5 million people are going to watch when most of those, a large percentage, have read the books and the source material. So I think they have to change as they go. And the result is this great moments to see of our favorite characters that the whole audience likes. but. Again, I think half of the people who were there should have died at least. Right, I, and I think that's the sentiment of pretty much everyone I talked to about the episode is 
I and I don't know if it's because Endgame came out the same weekend. I, some of these people I know did not see Endgame, but they were all like, yeah, it was kind of underwhelming. I expected to see a lot more of the main characters die. And like, it wasn't like, yay, I'm happy they're alive and they didn't die. It's like, yeah, I kind of resigned myself to this is what was going to happen. And now uh, I it's weird, but I'm disappointed that it didn't happen. Yeah, the scope just wasn't, I think, expectations got ahead of myself. And again, the show is absolutely beautifully shot. Hopefully you can watch it again and kind of calibrate your TV or wait till it comes out on like a 4K Blu-ray or something. Because there's absolutely amazing still frames from the cinematography and using the low light photography and natural lighting in the darkness. They did an amazing job. And it's disappointing to hear people say that, but... As beautiful as it is, the story, like we said, didn't make sense. And outside of that Arya being super awesome moment, a lot of it is not even that memorable. No, it's all the Arya moments are the ones that were memorable. Her, the fight with the, the special staff that she had, and then when she splits it in half at one point, and then she's using the two halves separately, Like, and then when she's kind of walking through that library and trying to avoid the all the zombies going around. I mean, really, hers were all the standout like moments in the show in this episode and i i'm finding it hard to remember much of anything else like i don't know it was kind i i'm hoping that the remaining three episodes are much better than this yeah i i think the tough part is comparing a single episode to a three-hour movie that's based on 21 films but again you still have 68 hours of tv show from the first few seasons that have gone into this. And this is like the climactic battle. I mean, there's a second one to come with Cersei's army, but it's not as devastating. It shouldn't be as devastating just because you're not dealing with the undead. Like the undead is a whole another adversary than just an army that you fought before. Oh, right. Yeah. Because they're not going to tire. They're just going and they don't care if they die. Like it's, they're just going to keep on going. I, I'm just hoping that this ends satisfactory because you always wonder when a series ends like is that final episode going to be any good or is it going to be dumb breaking bad they did a fantastic job seinfeld they did a horrible job lost they did a horrible job i'm hoping that this one is good and this up until this point before i saw this this episode i was like this whole season's going to be phenomenally good it's going to be amazing they're going out with a bang now it gives me pause with this. Just this episode was not what I was expecting, and I'm just hoping the others kind of don't fall along this path and more of what the rest of the series has been. Yep. So I think that's a pretty good roundup for Game of Thrones season eight, episode three. And I think the overarching takeaway is that Arya Stark and Tony Stark are somehow related because <laughs> they were the saviors and the MVPs of their respective entities. Yep, and thus the special code if you want to enter the giveaway. Yep, be sure to check the app advice and app addict for the giveaway. Enter keyword Stark, S-T-A-R-K. And for episode 101, it's kind of going to be like a restarting point to what app advice is all about of covering the usual forms of apple news new apps and new games so stay tuned for that but we hope you enjoyed this special kind of change of pace episode 100 talking about the biggest pop culture events 
really, and cinema history for sure, and TV it's tough to find a bigger scale than this too. Yep, yeah. I, I hope you enjoyed our little experiment and uh, we'll be back to the normal next week. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.